0: Humble, the swaddling clothes is rolled, the meek displayed in power, the Prince of Peace. now know. Well, we are so glad you have been a part of our Christmas Deeper Study. The setup of this study is quite different than our other deeper events, but it's been a real joy to get in the Word together this December. We also have two upcoming deeper events in the new year, on January 18th and March 29th. If you're local, we would love for you to come and be a part of that, and the free registration will start soon for that. So watch out for an email concerning those deeper events. But for today, as we conclude the study, we want to zoom in on the next part of John chapter four, and see what else the Lord would have to say to us about Christmas from this passage. Now, we've already seen that Jesus engaged this woman in John chapter four who was really not someone he was supposed to be talking to. He wasn't even really supposed to go to Samaria. And here he sits down and talks to this woman who's hurting, she's an outcast, she's involved in a sinful relationship, and she's very mixed up about many things, including her worship and and who God is. But Jesus came right to where she was so he could give himself as a gift to her, to be her wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And that's what Christmas is. Jesus revealing himself to us, to people, to the world, coming to where we are in the midst of our hurts, brokenness, sin, mixed upness, and revealing the gift of himself. You know, this passage is like a story, but we need to remember, too, that it's a real story. It really happened. Christmas really took place for this woman. Not trees and lights and all that stuff, but the real Christmas, Jesus He came into her world, and he changed it. You know, during this month, people like to watch Christmas movies and stories, and, you know, there are tons of them out there. And we can get all caught up in the details of people's Christmas experiences, whether they're left at home alone or dealing with a Grinch or experiencing a wonderful life or even waiting for a miracle on 34th Street. We can get caught up in all the details of someone else's Christmas story, and and we love those details, and Hollywood does a pretty good job of showcasing them. But the Word of God tells stories differently. We get the stories, but we don't always get all the details. See, we're not sure what street this woman lived on or what the name of this Grinch was that she was probably living with. But we do know that she was all alone when Jesus met her and she wasn't having a wonderful life. Not at all. Now, actually, I wish there were more details given in John 4. I would like to know her backstory a bit more. I mean, what happened in her childhood and and what went wrong in those marriages that were before this relationship? I'd like to know about when she stopped coming to the well with all the other women. What what was the final thing that made her just decide to come during the day by herself? I'd like to know what she was thinking when Jesus was talking and revealed that he knew all of her secrets. See, I think there was probably more conversation that took place than what we actually read here in John 4, and I wish I could have heard it. I think I especially would have liked to have seen this woman's face when Jesus told her that He was God. All kinds of details I wish I knew, I wish I could hear and see, but what we really need is revelation. See, God's Word doesn't always give us all the details of the story. Because what he reveals in his word is not like any other story. His word is different than any other kind of book. It might look like a book, but it's not. It's an alive and active word. And yes, God tells stories in his word, but not just for story's sake. He uses these stories to speak to his people exactly what he wants to say and when he wants to say it. And he waits for us to seek him. And then He reveals the mysteries in these stories, and He connects these stories to our stories. See, God watches for when our hearts and our eyes are open, and then He shows us things. He reveals things. When I started seeking the Lord for what He would have me teach for this deeper Christmas study, I never expected to end up in John 4. As we have said, it's not your typical Christmas passage. But one day I was reading and John 4, 10 flashed in front of me. If you knew the gift of God, it said, and I knew that God was speaking to me and saying this, this is what I want you to talk about in the deeper Christmas study. So I started watching this story in John 4. I started seeking the Lord. What do you want to say to us? I asked God. I opened my ears and my eyes for what wanted to say, and I I marveled at how He took what is revealed in John 4, right here in the text, and He also directed me to Isaiah 9-6, a well-known Christmas passage, and then He wove them together. I had not seen that before. And, And we've gone through this, and we've talked about how He revealed Himself to this woman as Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Eternal Father. I mean, we've been looking at those things up until this point. So naturally, According to this list of names in Isaiah 9-6, what do you think we're going to talk about today? What detail do you think we're going to look for next in this story in John 4? Let's read Isaiah 9-6 just to make sure we're all there on the same uh, page. I I know we've read it several times, but let's read it again. Isaiah 9-6 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. See, we've already talked about those first three names, but what's the last one? It's Prince of Peace. So in my study, I went back to John chapter 4 because that's what we're going to look for today. And I said, all right, Lord, show me. Show me how you revealed yourself as the Prince of Peace to this woman because I think that's what you want us to see. And I want you to know, I got pretty frustrated (laughs) And I told the Lord, I just don't see where you revealed yourself to her as the prince of peace. I sure wish you would give me some more details, God. See, when we pick up where we left off last week, this story starts moving from just being about this woman and Jesus to involving the whole town and his disciples too. In fact, we really don't even get to see much of this woman after Jesus tells her that he is God in verse 26. He tells her, "I'm the Messiah. But let's go to John four and read and let's let God continue the story. We're going to look at the details that are given and we're going to ask him to take those details and tell us the story today and just the way he wants to hear it, just the way he wants us to hear it. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are the greatest storyteller ever. Your stories are alive and active. You use your stories, Lord, to speak life into us. And God, you've been doing that all month long as we've been looking at these passages, and I pray that you would do it today, that you would finish out this work and speak strongly into our hearts. God, our hearts are open, our ears are open, our eyes are open. We want to hear from you, Lord. We want to see what you have to say to us. We need revelation, God. Lord, we need you. Not only as our wonderful Counselor, our Almighty God, our Eternal Father, but Lord, we need you as the Prince of Peace in our lives. So Lord, just reveal to us today as we study, as we look at your Word and hear from you, God. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so we're going to jump right in and we're going to pick up in verse 27. And this is right after Jesus has told this woman, I am He. In other words, I am God. I am The Messiah. So we're gonna go in here. We're just gonna kind of gather some details first, starting in verse 27. It says, At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet nobody said, What do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? (laughs) The disciples remember they had been off getting food when Jesus came and sat down at the well. And and they see these things going on. All right, here's Jesus, he's in Samaria. What are we doing here anyway? and he's talking to a woman. He's not supposed to be doing that. But notice nobody had the guts to ask him why. Now, I wish they had because I would love to hear what he said to them. But they didn't ask. Now, go to verse 28. And now it's going to take us to uh, the woman and the people in the city. This, is gonna, this, this narrative is going to really jump all around from the disciples and Jesus to the people and the woman and all, and all of that. So, right now, we're going from the disciples and Jesus in verse 28. We're going to see the woman. It says, so the woman left her water pot. And she went into the city, and she said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city, and they were coming to Jesus. Now, this is really strange to me. There's only two times in the rest of this passage, this being one of them, that we're going to see this woman. And this this is one of them. But here's this woman. She goes into the city. In the past, she's been a loner seeking water all by herself, just get the job done and go back home. And now she goes into the city and she talks to people. And she doesn't just talk to anybody, she talks to the men. Now, the men probably don't respect her. Her reputation is probably pretty well known, even though she's trying to hide it. And she speaks to them and they respond. Now, that's pretty interesting to me because I don't think that's probably been the dynamic in the past between her and the men of the city. Something is up. Could it be that Jesus' words, I am he? Could it be that the conversation that she had had with Jesus has already changed her? But now the passage is going to take us back to Jesus and his disciples and a conversation that they have. Read with me starting in verse 31. It says, in the meanwhile, the disciples were requesting him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples, therefore, were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? They're, they're about the same as this woman was. Remember, Jesus was talking about spiritual living water and she thinks it's, it's physical water. Jesus is talking to them about a different kind of food and they're thinking it's food to, to eat. <laughs> Interesting how we can be, right? But picking up in 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Jesus is making it very clear what he's here to do. What he came to this world to do is more important than food. He came to harvest souls. But now the passage switches back to the woman and the people of the city. and This is the last time we're going to get any details about her. Verse 39, it says, And from that city many of the Samaritans believed in him. Because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things that I have done. A harvest was taking place in this city because of what this woman said. That's amazing to me. The outcast now is an agent of change in the whole city. And in verse 40, it says, So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And Jesus stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world." See the harvest moved from just one woman to many people. Now there's lots of details there, but I want you to know, I just kept asking the Lord, I don't want to force this God, I know more happened here than, than what this tells me, but did this woman see you as the Prince of Peace in the midst of all these details? Did you show yourself to her as the prince of peace? Because that's what I was really looking for. And that's what I thought God wanted me to see. Well, this is how the Lord answered me. And he gave me revelation in his living, active word. He told me, look at what she said. He kept pointing me back to to the phrase that she said. And she said it two times. We only see her two times in this part. And each time she said the same thing. Verse 29, she says, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. Verse 39, it says, This woman testified. He told me all the things that I have done. It appears that Jesus telling her all the things she had ever really done really brought about a change. Brought about a change in her. She used to go it alone. Now she had the confidence to talk to the whole city. She used to be disrespected. Now they would listen to her and and they're changing too? This this phrase, this man who told me all the things I've ever done, it, it seemed to really be a catalyst for change in the lives of the whole city. You think about it, Samaritans used to hate Jews and Jews hated Samaritans. But now because of her testimony, these Samaritans were willing to leave their work day or whatever else they were doing in the city and go seek out a Jew to talk to him? They were asking Him to stay with them, to be there with them, and to teach them. They wanted to listen to what He had to say. And not only did they listen, they were believing in Him as the Savior of the world. And it appears that all this happened because Jesus told her all the things she had ever done. That was the the root of all of this change. You know, all of us have things we have done. All of us have sin in our lives, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. In this woman's life, we know what the sin was, at least some of her sin. She was really involved in immorality. And how many of you know, immorality has a lot of sinful friends. A lot of times with immorality comes shame, lying, sensuality, manipulation, idolatry. I mean, it can be really ugly. And what do we do when something is ugly or we have something ugly in our lives? What do we do? Try to hide it, right? That's what most people do. They try to hide their sin, to cloak it over in some way so other people can't see it. Because we think if people know about our sin, if they, if they really know about our issues, then that's going to create all kinds of turmoil in our lives. So, so we can get pretty good at covering up our sin. And yet, do you know what the Word of God tells us? It tells us that hiding our sin actually creates all kinds of other issues. Now, we're still talking about Jesus being our Prince of Peace. Don't don't think I've lost you here, or I hope I haven't lost you. And we're going to get there with this, so hang in there with me. But turn over to Psalm chapter 32 as we think about this idea of, of hiding our sin. Psalm chapter 32. It begins with, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose Spirit, there is no deceit. In other words, no hiding, no covering. Listen to what it says in verse 3. It says, When I kept silent about my sin, in other words, when I hid my sin, my body wasted away (laughs) through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to thee and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Do you see the issues that happen When we hide our sin, what did it talk about in verses 3 and 4? Physical issues result from hiding our sin. Depression issues, guilt issues, energy issues, exhaustion issues. Certainly doesn't sound like any kind of peace to me. Now now go back to John chapter 4. John 4. We saw at the very beginning of this chapter that it appears this woman was trying to hide her sin. From others, she came by herself to the well but maybe even from herself you know many times we isolate ourselves from people but what we're really doing is trying to hide from ourselves and we don't even know it we deceive ourselves we especially do this with people who we know will tell us the truth or maybe they're living in the truth and so if we're around them their lives or their words to us like uncover our sin. So we don't even want to be around them because we don't want to look at our sin. So what do we do? We just stay away. And we think that covering up our sin is going to bring good things. We think that if someone really knew the real us, well, that would be dangerous. So what do we do? We hide. We stay away. But hiding and isolation and secrets bring a turmoil inside of us that affects everything. That's what Psalm 32 is about. And that turmoil will turn and affect us so deep, and it creates anything but peace. I imagine for this woman that she really felt like she didn't have any other choice than to hide, I mean. I mean, her sin had gone too far. At first, at least she was trying to do it right. I mean, she married, and I don't know what happened to that first marriage, but then she married again, and Who knows what what began to happen in all of those relationships, but she had now gotten to the place that she had just thrown it all to the wind and she was just living with a man that wasn't even her husband. People wouldn't treat her well. She knew that, so better just stay off to herself. And you know that is true. People often cannot handle our issues. Sometimes when people really know us, they gossip, they slander, they reject us, they hurt us, they judge us. I mean, people will do all kinds of things. When people find out about our sin, our issues, people often cannot handle it. And the reason they can't is because they've got their own issues. They're hiding in their own sin. They talk about yours. It's another way to put a blanket over their own. People can't handle our sin. So it's no wonder that we often hide from people or don't let people see who we really are. But here's the thing. Jesus can handle our sin. We can be fully known by Jesus, sin and all, and yet loved and accepted by him. We don't have to hide. And oh my goodness, what a peace that brings. How long had this woman been in hiding? Turmoil brewing so deep in her soul that she had forgotten what peace was. But Jesus, Jesus looked right at her and told her everything she had ever done. All the stuff we don't even read about here. All the things I've ever done, she said. And yet she found he didn't walk away. He was still there talking to her. I mean, it was amazing that he was a Jew and he was even talking to her. What's going on with that? Most Jews hate Samaritans, even when they don't even know anything about them. I can't imagine what went through her mind when here is this Jewish man who Jews always seem to set themselves above Samaritans like they were better than Samaritans. So here's this Jew, and he knows all about her, and he's still treating her with kindness. Now remember at this point in their conversation, when when he revealed that he knew all that stuff, she was still thinking Jesus was a man, right? She said, I perceive you're a prophet. Now a prophet is, is a pretty good man, but he's still a man. It was after he told her everything she had ever done that he revealed to her that he's God. Can you imagine what this did for her? I mean, it was one thing to know a Jew knew all about her and accepted her and still talked to her after seeing her shame and her sin. But for her to see that God knew all that, God accepted her, God sought her out, God ministered kindness to her, God wanted her to see him as a gift to her, even when God knows all that I've ever done. We don't have to imagine this part. We see this detail in her story. It changed her. Being fully known by God and yet accepted by him brought peace to this woman's troubled soul. Jesus was the Prince of God, ministering his peace to her. Now, I asked the Lord to show me How he revealed himself as the Prince of Peace in John chapter 4 to this woman. And that's exactly what he did. See, he, the Prince of Peace, came and did his harvesting work. The work that God had sent him to do. Go back with me to the conversation that Jesus was having with the disciples in John chapter 4. Remember, they wanted him to eat. And what did he say in verse 32? He said, I have food that you don't even know about because his food was doing the work of his father that's what filled him up see jesus was doing the work of a prince think about what a prince is and what a prince does a prince is the son of a, of his father who's a king and he does his father's work in the kingdom when jesus told the disciples i'm so caught up in the work of my father i don't even care about food right now you know what he was doing he was being a faithful prince God is all about making peace with His children, that's God's business, has been His business from the very beginning, and and He wants peace for His children, and with His children, and this part of John 4, when Jesus is talking all about the harvest, He's saying the harvest has started for centuries, God has been about the business of making peace with His children, He's been sowing and planting for peace. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to bring in that harvest. That's what I'm here to do. That's more important to me than food. And I want you to join me in doing that. Here's the point. We've all got sin issues. I would say that most of us, me me included, don't even know the depth of our sin. I mean, you think about it. From the time we're very little children, we learn to hide and mask and convey ourselves to be what we really aren't. We do that with people. We do that with God. We do that with ourselves. Because we think it's going to bring some kind of good for us. But what it really does is it brings turmoil. Because God created us to be known. He created us to be in relationship, not to hide. When God created Adam and Eve, he had relationship with them, man with God. He created them for relationship with each other. But what did Adam and Eve do right after the very first sin? They hid themselves from God. They blamed somebody else, which is also a form of hiding. Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent. But that's not how God created us. He created us to be known and to be loved by Him, in relationship with Him. But we have convinced ourselves, oh, it's much better to hide. This woman in John 4 had been hiding for who knows how long. But she found peace when the Prince of Peace, Jesus, came and did his father's work and brought it all out in the open. He was telling his disciples, look, I've been about my father's business. He showed her sin for what it really was, a blaring mess. You know, the conversation between Jesus and this woman really just keeps reminding me of another passage in Isaiah that's prophetic of Jesus as well. Isaiah 1:18 You may be familiar with it, it's really an invitation from the Lord. He says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be as wool. See Jesus is God and he knows our sin. He sees it as one huge red mark after another even if we try to hide it he says though your sins are as scarlet because he sees them that way but what does he say he invites us into this conversation with him he says let's sit down let's reason about this let's talk about this and you know what he does he he tells us how he'll cover up our sin it's not that he's going to hide our sin he's going to cleanse it he says though your sins are as scarlet they're going to be as white as snow why Because Jesus, the Prince of Peace, will cover our sin with his own blood. That that takes us right back to Psalm 32, verse 5, where it says, I acknowledged my sin to thee, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Do you see how Jesus is the Prince of Peace here in John 4? How he reveals this part of himself? God showed that to me, and I I love it. Jesus doesn't come in with this big sign to the woman and says, Look, I'm the Prince of Peace. No, what he does is he just quietly and beautifully and thoroughly does the work of a prince. See, it wasn't just for this woman. You go back into John chapter 4, back in verse 39, we find out that many of the Samaritans believed in him because of what she said. And they asked Jesus to stay with them. And then in verse 41, it says, And many more believed because of his word. I wonder what his word was in verse 41. That's one of the details I'd like to know. This is what I think happened. I think he sat down with these people, and just like he did with the woman, he told them everything they had ever done to. But he accepted them, and he loved them, and he told them of God's grace and how they could be made new in him. You know, I love it that Jesus really began this harvesting with a group of mixed-up, rejected people. Samaritans. It makes me think of that whole passage in Isaiah 118. Come, let us reason. Let's sit down and talk about this thing that's just made all this strife and turmoil in your heart. Let's get it covered with my blood. Let's get it covered with me. And we'll make it as white as snow. This whole section of John 4 screams relationship to me. And I love it in verse 42 where they tell the woman, look, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We've heard his word for ourselves. And we know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. We've heard for ourselves. Now what does all this have to do with Christmas? So much. So much. First of all, It's just one more reason why Jesus is such a gift. Because the greatest longing of our souls is to be known and loved. But how many people believe that one cancels out the other? Meaning, if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. There's a song that came out, I guess, in the last year by Kelly Clarkson. And some of the lines go like this, everybody has a dark side. Do you love me? Do you love mine? In the song, she says, don't run away, promise you will stay. The very first time I ever heard that song, I was actually in a weightlifting class at 5 a.m. in the morning. You know, you're barely awake, starting to lift weights, and this song is one of the songs that we were going to be lifting weights to that day. I'd never heard it before, and I thought, oh my goodness, this is deep theological stuff for 5 a.m. Because everybody does have a dark side, and yet everybody's crying out. But even if you see my dark side, will you know me, will you love me? How many times is that not what happens though? You know, when people really know us, a lot of times the reality of this broken world is that they don't love us. The husband leaves, the parent rejects, the friend finds someone better. The child walks away from the family when they grow up and all these things create so much turmoil. But see, not Jesus, that's not how Jesus acts. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's willing to know us all the way, our dark side, to love us anyway. See, true peace is ministered to the soul by being fully known and fully loved. And only Jesus can do that. What a gift he is, our Prince of Peace. And knowing him as a Prince of Peace brings freedom to Christmas. <laughs> and more importantly, really to life. Because I don't have to press, impress anyone because I already know that I'm loved and known by God himself and oh my goodness, what freedom that brings for Christmas and the rest of the year too. How many of you have ever gotten that perfect Christmas card? You know, the perfect families on the front, they've all got happy smiles, and maybe they all have matching clothes, and and there's a letter that comes along with the the card, and it tells how every child made straight A's that year, and they've had three perfect family vacations, the husband got a raise, the children were the star athletes on all their sports teams or their music things, and now, I know I'm being a little dramatic and maybe a little excessive here, but I know you know what I mean. We've probably all gotten at least one card like that. And and don't get me wrong, I love getting those kinds of Christmas cards. I love reading all the letters. I, I am the one who will read them, I, I even if you're writing a long letter, because I like the stories and the details and I love knowing the things that happen in my friends' and family's lives. But there are times over the years that I've gotten a card that was so perfect that it made me feel much less. And what that does is then somehow create this thing in us that we've got to impress. Like, if you really knew what was going on in my family, you would be, like, spazzed out. So I I somehow need to hide what's really going on and we'll just make it look perfect. No. See, it's in those moments that the Holy Spirit has to remind me, Sharon, everyone has issues. Everyone has sin. Even if their Christmas card looks perfect. Jesus knows my sin. He knows me. He knows all the things I've ever done. And that's what matters. And I may not measure up, but at least I have peace. Why? Because the Prince of Peace knows me and sees me, the good and the bad, and he loves me, and he points me to something better. We have a mindset that at Christmas, you know, we should have the perfect tree, the perfect life, the perfect card, cookie, present, ornament, family, dinner, outfit, whatever else we try to impress with. And a lot of times I think we're just missing it with that, if that's what we're doing. Because Christmas is really a time to embrace the one who told us all the things we've ever done, all the places where we don't get it right. What if we put that on a Christmas card? What if we wrote a letter saying, okay, here's all the times I blew it this year. I dare you." (laughs) Here's the thing, even if you did it, you'd know that you could send that card to Jesus. Why? Because if you know your gift, if you knew the gift of God, if you know him as the Prince of Peace, you can say this, I've heard for myself that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. He knows me, he knows everything I've ever done, and he loves me. You know, as we think about how all this relates to Christmas, we also have to see the purpose of knowing Jesus as the Prince of Peace, the purpose that that brings to Christmas, And really, that happens in two ways. First of all, you know, we're all trying to buy people gifts this time of year. And and whatever we buy, we we want them to like the gift. But do you know the one gift that everybody really wants? It's peace. That's why so many of the Christmas songs are about it. But you can't buy peace. It's only found in being known and loved by Jesus. And no, you, you can't buy that. But if you know Jesus as the Prince of Peace... If he's your pens of peace, you can share that peace. And that gives great purpose to Christmas. This woman in John 4, once she had the gift, the peace of Christ, what was the first thing she did? Forget the fact that she was supposed to be getting water to take back home. What does it tell us in verse 28? She left the water pot sitting there and she ran into the city to tell the whole town. You know what? We can be ambassadors for Christ's peace at Christmas. We can do that by telling people about Christ. And we do. We tell the story of how Christ is born. But remember, we've got to get Jesus out of that manger as a baby. He's still a wrapped up gift at that time because we don't really see all that he's going to become. But when we look here in John 4 and we see how he relates to people harvesting the peace that God has been sowing, As the Prince of Peace, God's been sowing peace for years. And now Jesus harvests that peace. And what we can do is take that and let it give us great purpose to relate to people in the Spirit of Christ's peace. We know how He's known us and had grace on our sin. So when we find out about others' sin, we don't reject them. We come alongside them. We're willing to know them. We point them to truth. We know how much we've been known and still loved by Christ. So we extend that to others. Our husband, our kids, our parents, our in-laws, our neighbors, our friends, our enemies, whoever it is. You know, maybe we know the good, bad, and ugly about them. But we come alongside them. Just like Jesus came alongside this woman. Just like he came alongside us. Even if they're hiding. And we see the ways that people hide. The reason we can see the way people hide is because we hide too. And so we recognize it. But you know what? We can come alongside them and we can say, I see you, but I love you. God sees you. God loves you. He has more for you. And I'm willing to help you find that. I won't reject you because Christ didn't reject me. We say, Christ accepted me. He saw me and he said, I have more for you. He saw everything that I've ever done. And you know what? I've embraced him as my Prince of Peace. So we can really become like the disciples in John 4. You know what? Jesus was urging them to get involved in this harvesting, to share his peace. A lot of times at Christmas, we get so caught up in being generous with people so that they can have presents, and so that they can have a nice dinner, all all that good stuff that goes with our cultural celebration of Christmas. Nothing wrong with that. But Christmas is really about Jesus stepping into the lives of each individual and saying, I know you, I see everything about you, but I love you, and I want better for you. Confess your sin. I can cover it, you can't, but I can. I can make you new, and that will bring peace. If we give that gift and people open it up, they're going to find peace. They're going to find that they're known and they're loved. And every person has to see that for themselves. We can't do it for them. Verse 42, what did they say? It's no longer because of what you said. We've heard it for ourselves. Peace is an individual gift. We can't share it in the sense of you can have a little bit of mine. No, everyone has to find it for themselves. And understanding our role as ambassadors in this harvest of Christ's peace, now that we've received it, can give great purpose to Christmas and what we do with generosity and our gifts and our very presence and relationship with everyone in our lives. One of the ministries we have at Established Footsteps is called Cherished. It's a way for us to put this very harvesting into action, this harvesting of peace. Each month we visit strip clubs to give the gift of friendship to the dancers in these clubs. You know, typically um, a stripper would be somebody that people would look down on, just like Jews would have looked down on Samaritans. But we intentionally go into these clubs to give these dancers gifts and friendship and pray. We pray for the opportunity to say to them, We see you, God sees you, but he has better for you. We've even had women say to us, do you know where you're at? We're like, yeah, we see your sin, but we're willing to walk beside you and help you confess it and find God's peace and life. This past Friday, we had a team in the Newport News strip clubs. Every woman on our team has her own story of all the things we've ever done and Jesus seeing us and fully knowing us and loving us. And We talk a lot about, you know what? we all had to be known by jesus too we're no better than we just want to minister peace he gave it to us so let's go and let's share it when we went out on outreach this last friday night we gave out pink christmas stockings filled with gifts because we want to share our gift of jesus being our prince of peace yes knowing jesus as the prince of peace can bring great purpose to the way we relate to others especially at christmas but there's another purpose too and this purpose is really personal and it's for each individual it's for us it can help us conclude the year with a clean heart for us to live in peace see a lot of times even though we've come to know the gift of jesus we haven't really embraced him in this part of him as our gift you know that whole saying of john four ten, if you knew the gift of god i think A lot of times we don't really know Him as our Prince of Peace. You know, we can get caught up in sin, whether it's immorality like this woman in John 4, or other things that just pull us away from God and walking in His truth. That's what sin is. It can be idolatry. We can be putting all kinds of things before our relationship with Him. It can be dishonesty, materialism, bitterness, anger thinking like the world and like our culture instead of thinking according to truth, indulgence, pride, overeating, all kinds of things. We can get caught up in sin. And you know what we do? We try to hide it. We even try to hide from God and and from ourselves. And all that does is bring shame, not peace. Because even if we're hiding, oh, God sees it. But somehow we live with this illusion that he's almighty God, but he doesn't see my sin so we run from him. But what was it that Psalm 32 said? What did Psalm 32 say? In verse five, it said, "'When I acknowledged my sin to thee, "'and my iniquity I did not hide. "'I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, "'and he forgave the guilt of my sin.'" He forgave the guilt of my sin. When we hide, we have no peace. So many times, even though we're Christians and even though we're celebrating Jesus at Christmas, we're in turmoil when Jesus is our Prince of Peace. The one God sent to minister his peace to us is our gift. Remember that phrase, if you knew the gift of God, Jesus wants us to know him as the Prince of Peace. So at Christmas, we can finish the year out in December by being reminded of our gift. We can confess our sin to the Lord. We should be running to Him, laying it all at His feet. The things we don't even know how to figure out, we don't know how they'll get fixed. But we can say, just see me, God, and know that He's not going to reject. That He can make our sins as white as snow. He can redeem. He sees us. He can tell us everything we've ever done. The things we've struggled with in this year, the things we're still struggling with. He sees it. But he accepts us and he loves us. We can confess it to him and he will show us how to live differently. We can confess our sin to him in the knowledge of his love. Ending this year and beginning the next one with peace. Because we've been given a gift. Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Oh, there's great purpose in knowing Jesus as the Prince of Peace. For others and for ourselves. He's for all of us. He was born in a manger. But as he grew and began to minister and this world began to unwrap their gift... A lot of that started right here in this little piece of Samarita, Samaria. But it wasn't just for the woman and the people in this town of Samaria. It was for countless people all over the world, including you and me, who have been given the gift of Jesus. For to us, a child will be born. To us, a son will be given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Almighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I pray you will move through the remaining days of this month celebrating your greatest gift, your eternal gift. And that after having studied together and looking at Jesus and how he related to this woman and to this town and to us, we'll know him in deeper ways this Christmas. God bless you. Merry Christmas